Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. As we move from gathering to listening, our scripture reading today is from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Thank you, Madel. Well, this isn't a bad place to worship in our final Sunday of the season of creation, huh? Um, We're in a series called Speak to the Earth, and each week we're looking at one of Jesus' teachings that draws on the wisdom and beauty of God's creation. And so today we're looking at the teaching of Jesus found in John 15, which he says, if we want to understand what it means to be his disciples, then we should go to a vineyard and look at the way grapes are grown. And I think uh, coming out into the forest and looking at the way plants and trees are grown uh, works pretty well for that as well. Um, Most of you know that uh, I quit drinking alcohol a little over four years ago, and usually, thank you, usually when somebody quits something, it's because they're not very good at it. 
The reason I quit drinking is because I was so good at it, uh, a little too good actually. And I don't just mean quantity, but I actually uh, became something of a capable connoisseur of several uh, alcoholic beverages, including Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. So if you don't know, just over those mountains, uh, an hour or two, is some of the best Pinot Noir on earth, probably second only to Burgundy, France. And I got so good at Pinot that I could take a sip for a while there and tell you with pretty good accuracy what year that wine was made. And uh, am I proud of that? Not necessarily, but it is one of the things that sets uh, the world of wine apart from, say, the world of Dutch bros or something like that, right? Nobody ever is like, wow, this blended dragon slayer is so bright and complex. So there was something to it. Um, but why is it that there's so much variation in the world of wine? And it's because wine is part of a much larger ecosystem. The wine gets its character from the grapes, the grapes from the vine, the vine from the vineyard, the vineyard from the soil, and the soil from all these geological factors that go back millions of years to floods and fires and volcanoes and freezes. A trillion maybe, who knows? So when you taste a wine, you're not just tasting the grapes, but you're tasting the earth in which those grapes were grown. And the point is that the character of a wine depends on the vine from which it came. And so Jesus is really saying a similar thing here when it comes to our lives. He says that the fruit your life is producing or your character, the kind of person you're becoming, is a direct result of the vine that you're attached to. And so he sets up this metaphor for us in John 15, 1, where he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Okay, so this is the, the seventh of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. Should we keep the Bible trivia going from last night? See if you can name the other six. What are they? In John, he says, I am, who knows one? The bread of life. The way, the truth, and the life. The resurrection and the life. Kind of. That counts. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And I am the true vine. And so Jesus doesn't just say that he's the vine. He says that he's the true vine. Meaning that there are other vines out there. Fake vines or counterfeit vines. And he says that um, there are lots of vines we could choose to attach our lives to, but he is the true or the authentic vine. So he says he's the true vine and he is the gardener. And then in verse four, he says to his disciples that are gathered there with him that day, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so in this metaphor, God, the father, is a gardener who has this great vineyard. And in his vineyard is this one massive vine, which is Christ, the Son of God. And out of that vine are growing all of these branches, which are Jesus' disciples. And he says that some of these branches have a whole bunch of grapes that are growing on them. They're bearing much fruit. And other of these branches have no grapes and are bearing little or no fruit. And so Jesus says that as the master gardener, God the Father tends to his vine. 
And he knows and he inspects each and every branch. And he trims and prunes each one by hand so that it will bear more fruit. Because the point of a grapevine isn't just to look pretty. It's to bear fruit. So in in verse 2, Jesus says that the Father cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And what you'll notice is that no branch gets to stay the same. All of them get messed with. And this is where we start going, hmm, I'm not sure if I like this metaphor so much. I don't know that I want to get cut off or be pruned. And I'll admit, I know from experience that being pruned by God isn't always very fun. But if you understand why gardeners prune their plants and how they do it, then you begin to receive those prunings as gifts from God. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it like this. One of the many areas in which I possess near total incompetence is gardening. But I can prune roses. Someone told me how when I was young, and I've never forgotten. In fact, I not, only, I not only know how to do it, I even know why. Well, more or less. A rose bush, he says, left to itself will get straggly and tangled and grow in on itself. It will produce quite a lot of not-so-good roses rather than a smaller number of splendid ones. It will quite literally get in its own light. It needs help to grow in the right direction and to the right ends. So you prune it to stop it wasting its energy and being unproductive. You cut out particularly the parts of the plant that are growing inwards and getting tangled up. You encourage the shoots that are growing outwards towards the light. You prune the rose, in other words, to help it be its true self. And the same thing is, of course, true of vines. So the reason that God prunes our lives isn't to punish us or to make us miserable. It's to save us from growing inwards on ourselves and wasting away. God prunes us to help us become our true selves. And what is that? Or who is it that we truly are? Well, we are the image of Christ. We are those who are united to him by grace, through faith, and everything that's true about him is now true about us as well. His father has now become our father. His spirit has now become our spirit. His work and record have been imparted to us, and we now enjoy the same standing with God that he does. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in verse 3, when he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. See, God never tells us to base our assessment of our relationship with him based on how we feel about him. Our relationship with God is based on how he feels about us. And the way God feels about us is the same way he feels about his son, Jesus. We are already clean because of the word Christ has spoken over us. So again, this means that the process of being pruned, the journey of spiritual formation or sanctification, these are ultimately journeys about God chipping away everything that's not us until all that's left is our true self that looks like Jesus. This is the idea behind pruning. God 
the wise, loving gardener, gently and methodically trimming away everything in our lives that's keeping us from becoming who we really are in Christ. So let me ask you this morning, church, to take a moment and to search your life for signs of the gardener's pruning shears. Let me ask you, is there anything in your life that's been taken away recently? Is there something you had, or at least thought you had, that you don't anymore? Have you lost a job, or a relationship, or an opportunity? Have you lost control, or comfort, or confidence? Or maybe your plans didn't work out, or your dreams didn't come true. See, when something in your life is taken away, what if we were able to learn to see that as God pruning us, cutting away the parts that aren't who we really are? What if even though it hurts, God is masterfully gardening our lives and removing the stuff that's keeping us from becoming our true selves? Still doesn't make it any fun to get pruned, but at least then we can rest in knowing that the gardener knows what he's doing. By the way, am I saying that every time you lose something or someone, that God is pruning you? (laughs) Of course not. Sometimes we're the victims of someone else's sin or abuse. Sometimes things go wrong in the world just because we're broken people living on a broken planet. And sometimes we get ourselves into trouble and dig our own graves, and we don't have to blame that on God. Back when we were dating, Jen had a a coworker at Starbucks who used to show up 15 or 20 minutes late for work every single day. And the manager reminded her and warned her over and over again, and she kept coming in late, and eventually she got fired. And this girl was a Christian and knew Jen was too, and on her way out, she said, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he gave me this job, and he can take it from me. And Jen, at the time, didn't say it, but what she wanted to say, God didn't take your job. You were terrible at it, right? (laughs) Um, Not everything that goes wrong in our lives can be traced back to God's pruning. Sometimes we really are or someone else really is to blame. But even in those situations, God can redeem our sin and our suffering and transform it into some of the most fruitful places in our lives. In fact, I think it's because God is so good at redeeming pain and loss that we so often mistakenly believe he's responsible for it. So, you don't need to ask God to prune you. That's his job. It's going to happen. So what's our job? Jesus tells us in verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remain in me. That's our job. Just like the branch's job is to remain in the vine, our job is to remain in Christ. In other translations, Jesus says, abide in me or dwell in me or reside in me. The other day, one of the conversations in our car on the way to school was how long do you need to live somewhere before you can say that you've lived there, right? How long do you need to stay somewhere to say, not just that I stayed there, but I lived there? 
Maybe somebody here in the IRS has a, a, a technical answer, but whatever the answer is, when we move from just staying or visiting somewhere to living there or residing there, that's what Jesus is talking about. Remain in me, abide in me, reside in me, live in me. Don't just drop by every once in a while. Don't just visit once or twice a year. Don't just come on weekends and holidays. Come and live with me, stay with me, not just for a while, but for the long haul. Let me be your forever home. And so my question is, does that describe your relationship to Jesus? Do you value him and your time with him and your knowledge of him and your love for him and his love for you, your relationship to him? Could it be described as a living, abiding, dwelling, enduring relationship? Or do you more just go to visit him on occasion and then get back to your normal life? The invitation from Jesus is to come and to abide in him and find life and joy in his name. So last question then, what does that mean and what does that look like? To remain or to abide in Christ. There's an author named Greg McCowan who wrote a leadership book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And it's about the power of focusing your time and energy on what's essential rather than feeling like you're always being pulled in a million different directions. And in the book, he writes about the history of the word priority. He says the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. It meant the very first or prior thing. And it stayed singular for the next 500 years. But only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. The point is, you can really only have one true priority in life. Only one thing can be first. And everyone has a priority. Everyone has something that comes first. No matter how hard you try, you can't have multiple first things. So the invitation of Jesus to remain in him, to abide in him, is to let him be your true priority. Let your relationship with him be the first thing. So Antioch, will you choose to remain in Christ? Will you choose to value your relationship with him over everything else? If so, Jesus promises that your life will be bear much fruit. Like all living things, Christ's vine is always growing. And one of the ways Christ's vine grows is when new branches are grafted into it. Grafting, of course, is when you take a branch that was previously attached to another vine, you cut it off, and then you carefully attach it to a new vine in a way that it becomes that part of that vine forever. And so each one of us who is in Christ, we were grafted into him, and that means we're now part of him and we're part of each other. What we're going to do this morning is celebrate several new branches 
that are being grafted onto Christ's vine today. And the Bible has a special name for the event in which a new branch is added to the vine. It's called baptism. When we are baptized, we're cut off from the false vines to which we were previously attached and we are grafted into the true vine that is Christ and his church. And so in just a few minutes, we're going to head down to the lake and we're going to participate in a grafting ceremony. But first, I want to invite our new branches to come up and I'm going to give each one of them a chance to briefly introduce themselves, share who they are, and why they are getting baptized today. <laughs> 